this morning. I, I love the um, I love the chatter and banter. It's cute. Wonderful. Love this family. Love, love you guys. Love this people. Um, excited for this morning. I am quite a fan of uh, Dr. Rebecca Letterman. She has become a uh, close mentor of mine and someone I care deeply about, and um, she is phenomenal and has so many credentials that Jordan couldn't remember them all. Um, she got her PhD from Cornell in linguistics, um, did her MDiv at Northeastern, uh, and then studied formative spirituality under Adrian Von Kamm, somebody I really also appreciate as well, and is now an embodiment coach and has an embodiment certificate. And she's brilliant. And so I'm excited. She's going to do some embodiment practices with us as well in that night. Um, so really looking forward to our time um, with Dr. Rebecca Letterman. So I just wanted to drop that in there. Um, John Mark is still up there, though. I love my boy John Mark. So no shade to JMC, okay? Um, but a little different approach this morning. I'm actually going to read our text over us and... Um, what I want you to do is just, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to be very present. Take a couple of deep breaths every couple of seconds as you'd like. Um, and as I'm reading the text, one of the things I want to encourage you to do as an embodied practice is to start out by clenching your fists kind of as tight as you can. And then... When you feel the opportunity to release your fist into a posture of release and surrender, I would encourage you to do so. So that's my call for us today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This is the word of the Lord. I find it rather uh, coincidental that on uh, the 
the day where daylight savings comes to an end, we are talking about time. <laughs> I had multiple conversations with people this morning that were sharing their um, close of daylight savings time experience this morning, especially with their children, because my kids don't care about daylight savings or clocks being turned forwards or backwards or whatever. My kids were up an hour before they normally are this morning. And so last night, as uh, my wife and I were talking, I said, I'm excited about gaining an hour of sleep. And she said, oh, no, no, no. Those kids will be up an hour before they normally are. So there is no sleep to be gained. But I hope that some of you were able to experience at least a little extra rest uh, last night. Uh, today does mark the halfway point of our six-week exploration in the book of Ecclesiastes. Are you guys hanging in there okay so far? Multiple people have said this is their favorite book in all of the scriptures. And I, in that moment, am like, I really need to pray for you, to be honest. Um, I, I'm kidding. Um, but it has been interesting to see how many of you just love the book of Ecclesiastes. And so um, we are halfway. I hope that you are holding on and it's been formative. It's a series that we have entitled Life Worth Living, corresponding with three distinct questions. What is the point of life? What is worth wanting? Not just what do you want, but what is worth wanting? And then a very simple yes or no question. Am I really living? Am I really living? Now, life worth living is actually the name of what the New York Post called the most popular course offered at Yale. It's an elective course that you can take led by the theologian Miroslav Volf. And it explores human flourishing human significance, and the good life through the lens of classic philosophers from various types of literature, as well as religious traditions. You can actually look it up, and Wolf and a couple other professors actually wrote a book based off of this course called Life Worth Living. So why might it be that this is considered the most popular course at a top five U.S. academic institution. Number 11 in the world. Why might it be so popular? Because as the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes reveals to us from thousands and thousands of years ago, people, human beings, are on a search on a quest for meaning. And this quest is producing questions. The most popular course at Yale, an Ivy League institution, is on the search for significance. It's not on political theory. It's not business. It's not something around the environment. Great things wonderful things, but the most popular course that students want to participate in has to do with the search for meaning and significance across all traditions, worldviews, and religions. This quest that human beings are on produces questions, and it's revealing, I think, the questions that we have regarding the limits of meaning and morality purely within an imminent world even more specifically as it pertains to holistic flourishing. How can we find significance in an imminent world? 
How do we find transcendent longing if we're just experiencing the, the, the happenings of chance? We're curious people. We want to know, and we're questioning the limits of meaning purely within an imminent world. We experience the cross-pressure of both doubt and longing in a secular age. What the British journalist reveals as, in his own heart, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. A phrase that I think marks our time. And people are curious and interested. It seems you are as well. Now, my uh, wonderful mother texted me late one night after hearing that we were going through the book of Ecclesiastes and even being here one Sunday. And she decided to read through the whole of Ecclesiastes for whatever reason. I don't know if she was in a mood or what. Um, but she went through the book of Ecclesiastes, all 12 chapters, and she sent me a text message that I'm going to read to you. I actually have a picture of it on the screen. This is real. This is evidence. Good morning, pumpkin. My mercy. This is a southern woman right here. Decided to revisit Ecclesiastes and read a while. Oh, my mercy. I had forgotten how ashes to ashes is proclaimed and all the smoke and spit into the wind. Keep giving your folks a nugget of encouragement like you did on Sunday or they'll go out depressed and you'll have to spend the entire next series encouraging them. <laughs> I'm not making that up, man. It's real. I cut it out so you wouldn't see my response. I love it. I love it. So to that, here is some Soren Kierkegaard. Only when a person has become so unhappy or has penetrated the wretchedness of his existence so deeply that he must truly say, for me, life has no value. Only then can he make a bid for Christianity. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. We ask that you speak, Holy Spirit, transform, move, convict, reveal, Open our hearts, till soil. And God, may we, over the next few moments, increasingly open ourselves up to your Spirit's work in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Ecclesiastes 3 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. One of, if not the most famous verse in all of the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3 represents a bit of a turn for the teacher, or the coalette, or the preacher, the philosopher, in the book of Ecclesiastes. The first two chapters was a documentation of his pursuit of meaning and lasting significance under the sun. And he reveals to us that it fell short. Now this Next section that we are moving into starting today with chapter 3 shifts to being more about observations gained from his pursuit. Musings on the quest. Journal entries, you might say. 
reflections, and even, as we just read a minute ago, a song. In fact, scholars believe that the first eight verses of chapter 3 were, in fact, a song or a poem. Now, what better way to make existential observations than through music? We all wrestle with our existential questions, oftentimes with a track or a soundtrack to go along with it. And we see that even here thousands of years ago. And those songs, lyrics, and musical genres come and go. The range of human experiences mentioned in these few verses are, pun intended, timeless. Timeless. He walks through all of the range of human experiences. The teacher shares with us that there is a rhythmic and harmonious nature to time itself. Some sort of rhythm. More specifically, encapsulated by the word season. By the word season. So, he goes through an array of 14 back and forth events in these eight verses starting with the bookends of human existence, life at birth, throughout life to the end point being death. Our life is bookended by birth. Beautiful. Beautiful. The cry of a baby. Evidence of birth and life. So eventually, a point of death. And he starts there. Now I see why my mother is so depressed by the book of Ecclesiastes. It's so wonderful, a little baby's born, and he or she will die. <laughs> this is how he starts. But he goes in this back and forth lyrical journey, and by doing so, he communicates that time, this is important, is much more of a dance than a sprint. It is much more of a back and forth dance rather than a sprint, which I love in some regard because the Trinitarian community of God is also in a dance. It's referred to as the perichoresis, Father, Son, Spirit in this eternal dance, and time functions in the same way. Seasons reveal to us that embedded into the cosmos, there is a sort of synchronization and tempo within it, the only challenge for us as human beings in the Western world in 2023 is that time is much more like jazz than it is a pop ballad or even a worship anthem with a climax at the very end or to be able to predict what's coming next. Time is much more unpredictable like jazz. It feels both beautiful and chaotic at the same time not exactly knowing what is coming next. And I think we tend to get nervous and anxious when we don't know what is coming next. Nonetheless, this is the dance that we find ourselves in. But we aren't in the lead. Time is. The seasons are. And we simply are to flow with the rhythm. 
if it was up to me, I would have these leaves fall throughout the whole year rather than in a matter of a couple of weeks because it puts a lot more work on myself. <laughs> but I have no control over the way seasons come and seasons go. I have to simply respond with the flow of the rhythm of time. We aren't in the lead, even if we think that we are. The moment that we try to take the lead in time, it quickly reminds us that we aren't. We aren't. Go watch The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. You don't believe me. Not to be uh, pessimistic, but our days are actually shrinking. The average lifespan of human beings over the last few thousands of years has actually decreased. You and I are degenerating over time. The moment that you were born is also the beginning of your death. No matter how we try to, quote unquote, set ourselves up for the future, rather through a 401k or through some sort of aging cream, time cannot be manipulated, controlled, and or directed. Whether you look like you're 21 or not, you're still 45. Whether you have nothing to your name or millions of dollars, time will steal it all. Because you're not in control. You're not in the lead. Now, many of you know that I, every morning, take my little kids, now two of them, to daycare. I call it daddy daycare. I drop them off at daycare, and then I leave daycare. Praise God. <laughs> well, now I take two. I take Selah and I take Judah, and it's an experience, let me tell you. The Lord has revealed to me there's more capacity within a human being just by having two little children. And Selah's in a very demanding season of life. She's using words like move. And I said, ma'am, we say excuse me. She's also saying mine. I said, ma'am, you did not pay for that. Your mother did. She also likes to demand the kind of music that we listen to in the vehicle. The moment that she's in that car seat, da-da, baby shark doo-doo. And I'm like, how about baby shark don't-don't? And the thing about Sayla is occasionally she gets her way. Occasionally we're listening to baby shark to the point where I'm literally about to vomit. But we'll listen. But then there are moments where daddy's listening to his song. She's like, baby shark, do do. I said, no, no, honey. This is daddy's song. And recently for me, it's been uh, John Mark McMillan's new album called Deep Magic. Been listening to it. It's a wonderful album. Feel free to enjoy yourself. Free of charge. So say, daddy, daddy, baby shark, do do. Nah, this is daddy's song. For Sayla, sometimes she gets to listen to what she wants, but not always. And this is also, in some way, how time works. We aren't in control of the music. In the vehicle, I'm in control of the music. We aren't in control of the dance of time. Sometimes it feels right. There are moments where it feels right. Time is, quote-unquote, on our side. And then there are others where time is not. And it feels like 
we have zero control. Now, a popular phrase among us in our hurried, busy lives is, I wish there was more time in a day. How often do you say that each week? Or, another popular phrase, I don't have time. I don't have time. To that, let's make something crystal clear for all of us this morning. And hopefully it will be actually uh, liberating for you. Number one, there will never be, quote unquote, more time. This side of eternity. Never. More time. And number two, time isn't something we possess. It is something that we live in. It is not something that we have. Now, what you and I do have the ability to do is to discern how we live in time. Where we give our attention. The spaces that we create. The activity in the language of Ecclesiastes. We also have the ability to keep track of time in a certain way, or to organize time, or to measure time. We have that choice. It is up to us in how we do so. But there's never going to be more time. And time isn't something that we possess. It never has been. How often do you say to yourself, I, I just really need to da 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 And I really got to da 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 you're going to be saying that for the rest of your life. As if sometimes we think that we're going to arrive. We never are. There's always something else. Because time goes on without our control or direction. So we can discern how we live in time, how we inhabit time, and where we give our attention, and the way by which we keep track or organize time. But we do not have more of it, nor do we possess it. Now, in 2010, the visual artist Christian Marclay curated what some have referred to as the greatest time-oriented piece in all of contemporary art. It is a 24-hour video montage from 12,000 scenes across TV and film of clocks or timepieces documenting each minute of a 1,440-minute day. It's called The Clock. And when it's on exhibit, time would be synchronized with the actual time in real life. I watched about a 14-minute bit of this this past week, and it's utterly mesmerizing. Various scenes from film and movies that reveal clocks and timepieces that are corresponding and synchronized to time that you're actually in in real life. It has been uh, described as addictive or, as I mentioned, mesmerizing. Some refer to it as sublime or even a trance-like experience. The film has a way of reminding you, according to Markley, of just how long you have been watching. And in contrast to the escapism of most films in the cinema, Marclay saw the clock as a uh, memento mori, or Latin for remember you must die. One article on the clock said this, 
The film has the ability to make you think about past, present, and future. It is composed of moments from the past, but the ever-moving clock that matches your own real-time places and emphasis on the present. Knowing that time continues to tick, it asks you to consider the future. Markley asks what you will do with it in your restricted time frame. The clock has the ability to make us present in the moment. And I love this. It asks us to consider time rather than misuse it. For that reason, it is perhaps the most important timepiece we will ever encounter, literally and artistically or metaphorically. What Marclay was able to do was accomplish something quite profound. And this art exhibit has been on display at galleries all across the world. It debuted at the Cube in London, England, and has also been at various galleries across the U.S. and the world. But he does something very fascinating. What he does is he is able to bring together the collision of both Kronos time and Kairos time. Two ways to measure and engage with the complex idea that is time. For Kronos time, it has to do with quantity of time, clock time. For Kairos time, it has to do with quality of time, opportunities. For Kronos, it's about minutes. For Kairos, it's about moments. And Marclay forces us to ask, what time is it in both senses? What time is it? Now, much of our Western world views time primarily in a purely chronos fashion, linear and hopefully we're praying to the right, up and to the right in particular. This is how we view time. Yet the very idea of a quote-unquote timeline didn't even exist until the late 18th century during the Enlightenment. In creating a timeline, one could measure linear human progress. However, I read this line this week. The simplicity was an illusion to support the fantasy of linear time. So I want us to get this. When we get caught up purely in Kronos time, we tend to miss out on opportunities for meaningful and significant moments. When we say things like, what a great time. Man, we had a great time. We aren't thinking quantitatively, but qualitatively. When we start a sentence with a friend by saying one time, we are thinking story, not seconds. When we think about showtime, we aren't thinking about the time the show starts, but rather about we are about to be captivated. When we say it's game time, it's not the time of tip-off, but the chance at a championship. And when we say it's morphin' time, 
It isn't a set hour on the clock where a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, but rather when a handful of 90s teenagers are about to take down Lord Zed. You're right. And the teacher seems to also force us to ask the same questions. Mark Lay, what time is it? What season is it? I ask you, what season are you in? What time are you in? It's one thing to ask the question, where are you? It's another to ask the question, as James K.A. Smith references in his book, How to Inhabit Time, when are you? We cringe a little bit at that question. It feels odd. When are you? When we ask this question of what time is it, what season is it, it reminds us that time isn't purely linear, but it's also cyclical as well. Time may tick on by as leaves fall, but they will come back in the spring. And they will fall once again next year. I have to blow leaves every single fall. There's a cyclical nature to time. It's not just linear, though the clock is ticking. There is a sense that there is a rhythm and circular nature to it, a concept much more familiar in the eastern part of the world. When Kronos time becomes our sole focus as human beings, we tend to view time as something to get out of, culminating with a single event to end it all. One of the reasons why a lot of our grandparents, and maybe not just grandparents, but folks that we know that are so caught up in the eschaton, is it the end times? Because they think through a Kronos lens. They think about a linear progression of time. When's the final event happening? But that's just one view of time. One understanding. And when we view things just as chronos time, we're always thinking about the next thing or getting somewhere. But when we see time through the lens of kairos time, eternity has a way of finding itself into present moments, creating a multiplicity of little eternal events throughout our lifetime, thus producing a much higher quality of life. Not just going somewhere, but being somewhere. How many examples do you have in your own life where you have said, wow, I had no idea what time it was. People are at your home, you're hanging out, it's a party, you got music on, you're sipping on your tea, whatever. That's a thing. If you ever want a good, peaceful time, have Robbie and Isabel bring you tea to your home. <laughs> peaceful time, and all of a sudden you're like, what time is it? The time has flown. Why is it? Because you're experiencing quality time. You're experiencing a, a robust sense of being present. It's almost like you're experiencing eternity. Even the idea of play. When you're having fun or enjoying something, it's like time just goes away. Play, just as I referenced last week when we talked about Peter Berger's signals of transcendence, is also a signal of transcendence. Because in play, it's almost like we remove ourselves from Kronos time. We're experiencing eternity. I could experience this all day. It's quality. We say this all the time. Where has the time gone? Now, if you're not having a good time, 
Often you're looking at your clock, reminding yourself of Kronos time. What time is it? When we experience quality time with individuals and people, in particular, community, we can spend three hours together and it feels like 30 minutes. Despite the fact that if you sat in front of a clock and just stared at it for the same length of time, it would be the exact same length, different type of quality, different type of experience. You ever try to sit in silence? Just silence for five to ten minutes. Feels like literal eternity, but not in a qualitative sense often. We're like looking at the clock, looking at the clock. Look, Man, this clock is so slow. What is going on? No, it's not slow. It's just a different kind of quality in some regard. Forcing ourselves to be present, to step outside of Kronos time. Annie Dillard, who was a poet and a writer, has a very famous line where she says this, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. I love that. How, the manner in which we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And at some point, your life has been spent. How we inhabit time is how we live our lives. So when we ask, what time is it? We aren't just asking what's on the clock or the calendar, but rather it becomes a deeper question of quality and meaning and significance and purpose and beauty and transcendence of experiencing what could be beyond the sun within time. And how we encounter time often dictates the quality of our life within it. So my question for us today is how are you encountering time as it comes? If it's just Kronos time, it will wrestle you to the ground and squeeze you dry. What are you giving your attention to at the highest level? What space are you creating for moments and interruptions, something that Jesus was a master at? Do you allow interruptions in your life for opportunities, for the possibility of moments with another person or with God himself? And is time primarily for you seen through the lens of progress or is it seen through the lens of potential? In Kronos time, each hour of your day is packed with minutes. In Kairos time, each moment of your day is packed with possibility. That is so good. <laughs> I wrote that myself, and I was like, that's good, man. <laughs> and I, I, I don't do that often, but I wrote it down, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to keep that around for a long time. Each moment of your day is packed with possibility and potential as you're unfolding and becoming, as life is happening. And the beautiful thing is the Christian story, which we'll get into in a second, is a happening. It is happening. We are in the story. It's unfolding. It's not just a doctrinal statement or an article of religion. It is a happening that we are experiencing story that we are in. And to embrace Kairos time, we must embrace, I think, both linear and cyclical time as one whole entity. 
To do so, we must have, I think, a new way of timekeeping, of scheduling and organizing, not just our activity, but our attention or our attentions within time. We have to have a new way of organizing. So if time does have a cyclical element to it, and I think that it does, then that requires, if we all understand geometry, for the, the, the circle to have a center point or a fixed point or a focus point. Dare I say an attention point. All circles have a focus point in the center, a fixed point. Or for us in our life, an attention point. And a purely linear approach to time, I think, is disorienting for us because it has no center. There is no center to just linear time. There may be dots along the way, but there is no center. There's nothing to orient around. You're just constantly referring to the past and you're hoping for the future, but you may or may not be sure where you're heading, which we've talked about in the past. Progressing towards what? We have to have a center. For us, life can be destabilizing, I think, when there is no fixed center. Why? Because you are always evolving and changing and moving. Life is happening. Things are coming at you. Who knows what you'll experience this afternoon? Who knows what you'll experience tomorrow? Who knows what you'll experience tonight? If you do not have a fixed center, a focus point, an attention point, you will feel destabilized. In life. And that will be produced through only seeing life as linear. We have to have something to orient around, I think, to experience deeper forms of quality and well being. But I do think, even subconsciously, we do fix our lives around something. You have to wrestle with what it is. And whatever we are most focused on, or whatever has our highest level of attention, our experience of time is cyclical and circular around that thing, or that person, or that idea. Now, the way the church through centuries has been able to embrace both linear and cyclical time is by centering time itself and fixing it on the story of Jesus, what we now call the liturgical calendar. The liturgical calendar, which is a spiritual discipline. It is a practice. It's been deeply formative for both Jordan and I in our own formation and for the life of our church. Six seasons that orient around and are focused on the story of Jesus of Nazareth. His birth, his life, death, resurrection, and second coming. And what it does, what the liturgical calendar does, is it removes us from the center in our topsy-turvy life and fixes him and his story at the center. And we orient around it with all that we have going on. We keep coming back to it. When we keep time in this way, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what season that you're experiencing, no matter what life is throwing at you, and life throws a lot, 
we are always able to draw our attention to him and his work and his story. And better yet, the story that we actually find ourselves in. Providing stabilization, grounding, rootedness. Do you know when I was so caught up in the liturgical calendar as a practice? During COVID, during 2020, the reckoning of our world that we're still experiencing even now to some degree. If we're solely focused on Kronos time and you look around the world and you have any sort of global conscience, I, it's no wonder we're not all on all kinds of medication. And a lot of us are. <laughs> it's, it's a wild world. Violence is rampant. You know what's interesting? Obviously, we see this word hevel in the Hebrew all throughout Ecclesiastes. It means mist, vapor, smoke, and metaphorically means meaninglessness or worthless idols, futility. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. The first one to die and experience death was who? Abel. You know what his name is in the Hebrew? Hevel. Hevel. Death. And we look around our moment and we see violence producing death. First act of the fall. If we're just looking at Kronos time, we are going to get so disenchanted. Because in some regards, we've got everything at our fingertips. Everything to live with and nothing to live for. And, and, and nothing's new. It's not a new moment. This stuff's been happening for thousands of years. But if we're able to orient ourselves around something that's fixed in a broader story, I think it would be much more grounding for us amidst the tumultuous time that we live in. When we keep time in this way, no matter where we find ourselves, we are able to draw our attention back to him in the story of his work. Opening the door, I think, for the chance of fresh encounters, fresh revelation. Filtering the whole of our lives, each and every season that we are in and find ourselves rooted and planted through the gospel. The proclamation of Jesus' lordship and his kingdom, his redemption, his rescue and his salvation and his messianic vision for humanity, for family, for healing. We are able to do so. Now, in verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 3, a powerful one-liner is given to us where the teacher says, he has planted eternity in the human heart. That is worth underlining, highlighting, doing Lectio Divina on whatever, meditate on it, breathe it in, breathe it out. I don't care. It's a beautiful one-liner. Eternity has been planted in your heart. Why is it that we dread the thought of death? We all do. Why is it that we shed a tear when a loved one is diagnosed with a terminal illness? Why is it that we say no to death? Something that actually, when you think about it, you will never experience your own death, but you'll experience the death of others. And yet we say no to it. 
we shed a tear. We lament and we grieve lives that are lost or lives that are taken, whether by humans or by the minutia or by sickness. Why is this? Because that's not what is in the human heart. Death was not the plan. You can be the, the, the furthest, strongest, atheist, furthest from religion, and when a loved one dies, you grieve. Why? It's not supposed to be this way. Another signal of transcendence. Death was not the plan. We all sense that eternity is there, but it's rather mysterious, and we can't seem to figure it out. It's like a song in our heart that we can't put a name to. You know when you hear a song in your heart or your mind and it's coming to you and you're like, I just can't remember the name of the song. I can't even think of the artist. What is that song? It's ringing in my head. Right now for me, it's Coco Melon. They're different songs. I'm like, what's that one song, you know? Gosh, it is not aiding my quality of life though, I will say. But it's there. For us, eternity is the same way. It's like a song in our heart, in our soul, the core of our being, that we're like, oh, something's there, but I can't always put a name to it. C.S. Lewis called it the inconsolable longing in the heart, for we know not what. The unnameable something. We all have it within us. So, here is the encouragement that my mom begged for. The one who was beyond the sun. I'm going to need y'all to, I'm about to try to, I'm going I'm to I'm preach here, okay? I'm going to need y'all to get, get on with me, okay? The one who was beyond the sun came below the sun. The one who ordered the cosmos moved into the disordered hevel. The one who is meaning entered into the meaninglessness of life. The one who created life and is life entered into the depravity of life, the brevity of life. The one who was in eternity entered into history. The infinite became finite. Eternal life entered into the inevitability of death under the sun and turned it into a transcendent portal of new life where death is no longer the end but a transition point if we so accept it. What we longed for in the future stepped into time. In the incarnation of Jesus of Nazareth, fully God, fully man, Kronos and Kairos collided in one moment. And the liturgical calendar reminds us of this. We don't escape time and enter eternity. Eternity entered time in the incarnation. We aren't just trying to escape time and enter into eternity, but rather eternity entered time in the incarnation 
And guess what? If eternity is in your heart, he wants to step into and make a home in your heart to fulfill the eternal longing. A life lived through the Kairos lens focused on the story of Jesus offers countless opportunities to both remember that yearning as well as its fulfillment. And because of Jesus of Nazareth, God becoming flesh, we aren't trying to get into eternity so much as eternity is trying its hardest to get into your life and into time. The very vessel that God uses to communicate his eternal heart, God used time to communicate it. The one that was way off beyond the sun stepped down, emptied himself in humility to enter into life under the sun, below the sun. He blew the box wide open. He stepped into the cage and he somehow, in a miraculous way, he was able to unlock it from the inside out. So here's my heart for us today. God wants to encounter you and I in time. And my urge for us is to examine in our own life how we measure time, how we organize time, what are we oriented around, how and by what manner do we inhabit time. To that, Ephesians 5 Verse 15 through 16 says this. Be very careful or be very discerning then how you live. Not just when you live, but how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every what? Opportunity. Or every kairos moment. There may not be any more of Kronos time, but there is always more Kairos time. There are significant seasons in your midst, and there are significant seasons ahead. You have the opportunity, even today, to experience Kairos time. A moment, a fresh moment with God, the eternal one who became knowable by entering into the heaven of life. To close, one little sentence for you. Any second in your day is the possibility of a moment. And it is our moments that make a lifetime. Every second of the day is a possibility for a moment. And it's the moments that make our lifetime. I believe God is inviting you to encounter him in a moment today. It is the opportune time. It is the right time. Afresh.